Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. For the next few weeks, I want to talk about a topic. I want to talk about what difference does Christianity make? What difference does Christianity make? And we're going to look at some different things. Now, immediately, depending on your background, you think, what's the difference between heaven and hell when you die? And that's accurate. That's, that's true. But there's much more to that. And what we find is, as a believer, that there's differences that it makes in our life here and now, not just in the sweet by and by. And so we want to find out what some of those differences are. So we're going to be talking about that in the next few weeks. What difference does Christianity make? And when I say Christianity, I'm not just talking about a religious dogma. I'm talking about a living relationship with the living God that we have through a relationship with Jesus Christ, His Son. So we're going to talk about that. But I want to talk about different for a little bit. Now, when I say different, different can mean distinct. It can mean separate. It can mean uh, unlike. And it depends on how you use the word. It, it, it really can have a different connotation. If you say, oh, hey, I want you to meet someone. You're trying to let me set someone up on a blind date. And you go, well, he's different. <laughs> that's not good. That, that's a red flag. Because different can be weird or awkward or odd. I, I remember in the, in the 60s and 70s, I'm a, I'm a late boomer. The baby boom started about 1945, went to about 1962. I'm 59, so I'm on the late end. But in the 60s, some of you remember the flower children in the hippie days, and so all the hair was long. When I went to junior high school, man, I, I really wanted to have longer hair. I mean, it, well, look at Matt. That's how you figure out how long it is. The hair was long. And, but my dad wasn't having it. And so I had to have my hair buzzed above my ears. It could not, and, and I had glasses, and it just, I had awkward stages, like different parts of my face had growth spurts at different times. <laughs> Joy saw a picture of me when we were, before we were married, we were just kind of looking through one another's past and annuals, and she saw a picture of me, my junior high annual. She looked at me, she went, oh, darling. That was not a wow. That was a bless your heart. It was different. You know, different can mean unique. You hear someone says, well, you know, they marched to the beat of a different drum. That doesn't mean they're, they're strange. It just means they're different. They got, they're different. Different can be good or bad depending on how you use it. Um, when I was in college, I drove a a beat up old Volkswagen fastback, not the bug, the fastback. It was, it didn't have a muffler, it didn't have a speedometer, it didn't have air conditioning, it had two-tone paint that was not intentional. It was, it, it was an ugly car. And so when I got out and got some money and got a job working for Wrangler Jeans, I was a sales rep, I bought myself a brand new car. And I must have had my brain addled through all the partying I did in college because this is what I bought. This is what I bought. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But mine looked better than that because mine had special wheels, dark blue paint, and cranberry interior with a Landau top. That's what I'm talking about. And it had 92 horsepower. 
I said that right, 92 horsepower. And they were anemic horses. I won't tell you what they were. When I came, that's enough. That's all I want to see of that. When I, could, I, when I came down to Texas as a sales rep, I, I'll never forget, it, the highways were crowded. This is 1981. The highways were crowded. And man, it was just, we didn't have the toll roads. And man, it seemed like traffic was worse. And all the people from Michigan had moved down because Michigan had dried up. And everybody from Michigan that came down had a black plate, no air conditioning, and a bad mood. And so it was, it was a, the highways were bad. And I had to cut my air conditioner off to get on the freeway. If I'm trying to get, that car was so slow. I mean, I'd have my foot on the floor. Finally, I've cut the air conditioner off and I'm sweating, trying to get on to 610, just sweating like, oh, it was horrible. And then when I got a company car later on, it was, they brought me, I said, Alan, here's your company car. I said, great, what is it? I walked outside, it was a Reliant K car. I'm like, my God. That was an automotive dumpster fire. It was horrible. And so all, all the mode, all the, all the 80s, I drove Reliant K cars, and I think I had some, another four-cylinder car, but in the 90s, about mid-90s, I got a Nissan Maxima. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about six cylinders, not, not four. And, and what that was, it was a different experience. I got a speeding ticket in the first week I had that vehicle. <laughs> I never got a speeding ticket in a Reliant K car because you needed a tailwind to make it up to the speed limit. It was, <laughs> but it was different. And it was different because of what was on the inside, not necessarily the in interior, but the engine was different. And that created a difference. Listen, as Christians, as believers, as someone who believes in Jesus Christ, we're different. But the difference is more inside than it is outside. But here's the thing. If we never know what the differences are, you won't take advantage of them. Paul wrote the church, and this is what he said, in, and uh, he was writing to the church at Rome. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be, he said, don't be molded into this world. He's talking about a world system without God. He said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, listen, you, you, there's some things we've got to learn, some things we've got to know. Because when we find out what has been done in us, then what is done in us can start to come out of us and it will make us different. But if you don't know what they are, man, you just, you, 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 we're limited. There's an old, old story of, uh, of a boy from the backwoods of North Carolina named Junior who went into a hardware store early one morning. He said, uh, he said, he came to buy an ax. He said, I got a lot of trees. I got to clear up in the hills and I need an ax, need a good, healthy ax. And the sales rep looked at him. He said, Junior, he said, son, you don't need an ax. What you need is a McCullough chainsaw. And uh, he sold Junior this McCullough chainsaw. He said, Junior, you won't just cut a few trees. You cut 50 trees a day with this thing. And Junior said, I'll take it. He walked out without McCullough chainsaw. Later that afternoon, right before they closed, Junior came back and he was not happy. He slapped that chainsaw right on the counter. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, this thing doesn't work. He said, I've been sawing with it all day. I haven't gotten through one tree, much less 50. And the guy picked it up and said, well, let's see what's going on. And he pulled the starter and Junior stepped back and said, whoa, what's that noise? Now, this is not my favorite joke, but it's a good point. If you don't know what you got, you can't use it. If you don't know what you've got, if you don't know what's been done in you, 
And you can't use it if you don't know what God's done for you, if you don't know what he said about you. So this morning, as we talk about the difference in Christianity, the difference in a relationship with the living God, I want to talk about a perspective that's different. Seeing how we approach life, how we approach the world different. And we're going to take a story, one of my favorites from the Old Testament, which is a great picture. And it's a picture of two perspectives. The nation of Israel had come out of Egypt. God had miraculously led them through, brought them out of Egypt. They had the plagues, brought them through the Red Sea. He did amazing things. And so he brings them out and they come to the edge of the promised land and it's time to send in some spies. Now, I want you to see this first verse. This is what the Lord said to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, I want you to look at, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you send a man, everyone a leader among them. You send leaders because leaders have the most influence. He said, send them in. So these guys went in for 40 days. They spied out the land. They looked at this land. They even brought fruit back. They brought such a huge cluster of grapes. Two of them had to carry it. And they came back and they were to report about the land that God was giving them. And as they began to talk about the, the guys began to say, hey, he said, I want to tell you something. <laughs> he said, this land is a good land. Look at this fruit. But 10 of the guys said, but we got a problem. We've got a problem. We really do. Because this land is full of ites. Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Jebusites, termites. We got ites all through this land. He said, we got ites. He said, they're big, they're strong. They got big cities. They're powerful. We, we, got, a, we got a problem. And boy, they, they, they begin to say that. And, and people started to, get, started to get upset. What they never said was, in fact, they told Moses, they said, we went to the land that you sent us. They never said that the Lord was giving us. And so people are down, now their people are like, Ooh, oh, you know how people are, oh, they're talking. And uh, you, you see Caleb step up, Caleb and Joshua, Caleb, Caleb quieted the people. He's like, calm down, calm down. He said, let's go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they, as they begin to talk to the people, they begin to say, we can't do this. We saw these people, they're big, we're small. We can't do it. And what you begin to see is two different perspectives. Caleb and Joshua are going, man, let's go. <laughs> let's get it. We can do this. But the other guys are going, no, 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 we, we, we can't do it. Well, you would hope that people would have listened and then kind of weighed out the two options, but the people believe the majority report. Just a side note, the majority is not always right. And as they looked at the majority report, the, the Bible said the people, they cried all night, hadn't fought, hadn't done anything, but they're so discouraged. This is what they said. He said, why has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's select a leader and return to Egypt. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord, notice what they just said, if the Lord, they brought the Lord into it. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Second time he bring the Lord in. Nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. We, in other words, we will eat them up. Their protection has departed from them 
and the Lord, third time, the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now, I think the next verse said, and all the congregation said <laughs> to stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle, probably saved their life. Two perspectives. You've got the, the 10 spies who never valued what the Lord did for them. They never mentioned how he brought them out of Egypt. They never mentioned how he brought them through the Red Sea. They never mentioned how he'd fed them in the wilderness, how he provided water in the wilderness, how he protected them in the wilderness. They never mentioned any of that. But then you've got Caleb and, and Joshua, and they're talking about, this is a good land. And then they begin to say, if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us in. Yeah, these people are strong. Yeah, they look like they're stronger. But I love this. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us. The Lord's with us. And, and so you, you, you kept hearing their perspective. One was just looking at things face value. The other one is saying, no, no, no. God's in this with us. The Lord is in this with us. And if he's in this with us, we're going to come through this. But the people just didn't like that. They said to stone them with stones. But uh, God talked, began to talk to Moses about it. This did not sit well with the Lord. And he began to talk to Moses about them. And he said, and, and this, is, this is what he said. He said, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times. He's talking about the ten spies. And have not heeded or listened to my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. See, Caleb had a different spirit. David, Caleb was the one that said, we, we, we can do this. He said it was different. These other guys, they didn't, they didn't value what the Lord has done. They didn't even mention the Lord. But Caleb talked about how God was going to help them. And he fully followed the Lord. Forty years afterwards, 40 years later, because they had to wait for everybody over the age of 20 to die off. Forty years later, they were getting ready to go into the land, and Caleb and Joshua got together, and Caleb looked at Joshua. He's now 80 years old. But 80 years old, he's got all kinds of attitude. He looks at, he looks at Joshua. He said, I need you to give me this mountain over here. He said, it was 40 years ago that I went and spied out the land. And this is what he said. He said, I brought back word to Moses as it was in my heart. He said, this is what was in my heart. What was in his heart, Caleb? That God can help us? That we can take this land? This is the promised land for us? He said, I brought back word. He said, now, my brothers, my ten spies, they made the heart of the people melt. Do you realize that what we say can cause people to be encouraged or to melt? He said, they caused the heart of the people to melt. He said, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Caleb took a mountain and Caleb's descendants, it was it's a great story. But as you look at that story, here's where it gets good. Because we can take the same attitude that Caleb had and Joshua, and we can make that ours. It's not just that we read a story and go, great story. You're awesome, Caleb. Look forward to seeing you in heaven. Hey, what was it like? Hey, no, no. We write our own story. And we can write a story that says we got that same kind of different spirit, different perspective, different approach to life. 
And so with the living relationship with the living God, this is how things can be different for us. You say, well, Alan, we don't have a promised land. Oh, yes, we do. We are people of promise. God has given us promises. I want you to see this, this first verse. Next verse in Peter, excuse me, go ahead. You can put that one up. And because of his glory, God's glory and excellence, he, God, has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. We have a promised land. God has given us promises. They're promises of peace and provision, promises of hope and healing, promises of strength and salvation, promises of wisdom. God has given us promises. We have these great promises. And so we, we listen, we have promises what the world is looking for. They're looking for peace. They're looking for love. They're looking, and we got promises of them. And so when we begin to say, okay, okay, those promises are mine. This is one of the reasons that you hear me say and encourage you all the time. Read your Bible. It's not a duty. It's not simply something we're trying to get through and, you know, get brownie points from heaven. It's where we find out all the good things God has promised us that belong to us. And when we find those out, we're able to live differently because when you take his promises, you can live in the peace and the provision and the strength and the salvation and the hope and the healing. They're wonderful promises. And not only are they promises that are written in his word, but God can even take, he can even take specific things to you and your life and speak to your heart and give you a promise. When I have one of the most greatest stories in my life, was what happened to my mom. When I, when I was 19, I was selling books in Carbondale, Illinois, door to door between college semesters. And I got born again. I was spirit filled. I loved the Lord. But when I came back, I had no church, no Christian friends, never read my Bible. And I just, I fell away. This is one of the reasons I'm big on church. We need a family of faith. And I just fell away. I, had, I was in the fraternity and this, this was a hard partying group. And I got further and further away from the Lord. And it broke my mother's heart. She'd been praying for me and was so excited because I'd love the Lord. And all of a sudden, I'm far away. They're like, oh. And uh, they came up to visit me one, one weekend. And my dad said that my mom cried all the way home. Two hours. Just cried. She got up one night. She's praying and just crying out to God. My mom was a godly woman. And I appreciate this about her. She prayed for me all the time. I think she prayed girls out of my life and prayed joy into my life, and I am so glad. But my mom was hurting because her college son is now away from God, living hard, partying hard, and looks like he's so far away from God. And she got, she's crying out to God, and she got quiet, and she was reading her Bible. She would pray and read her Bible. And Isaiah 44.3 just seemed to jump off the page. It says, I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. Now that wasn't a promise written to us. That was a promise to Israel. But right then at that moment, the Holy Spirit took that promise and made it real to my mother. That my mother realized my two, my two kids, me and my sister, my two children will come back. My two children will come to the Lord. Listen guys, this is what I'm talking about is a living relationship. 
when we have a living relationship with the living God, he can make his word and give you a promise and something quick into your heart and nobody else can see it and maybe nobody else understands it. But I'm going to tell you something, you can live on those promises. People of promise. People of possibilities. See, we're people not limited by simply what our natural talents are and our skills and what we see around us. We're people who have possibilities. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You see, what happens is we don't just have promises and we go, oh, what a great promise. We believe those promises. We take those promises and we make them ours. This was what my mother did. You say what she had to do was because, let me tell you something. She received that promise that night and it just, it just stood out to her and just blessed her so much. She said, well, what happened, Alan? The next day did you get saved? The next day did you come back to the Lord? No. Three years. Three years later. And so my mom had to believe that promise in here even though she couldn't see anything out here. This is what we call living by faith. This is what Caleb said. He said, I brought back word as it was in my heart. We're heart people. We don't live by just what we see and what we feel. We live by what we believe on the inside. And when we believe God's promises on the inside, they can hold you steady. Oh, this helped my mother so much. I want to tell you something. Because my mother, every time I would come home from college before, before she had that promise, before she believed that God was going to do something great in my life, she would try to work Jesus into every conversation. Oh, I, just look straight ahead if you've done this. But she, I'd go, man, what a beautiful day. She's like, Jesus made the day. I'm like, okay, mom, right, I got it. And she's like, mom, I'm having problems with my car. Well, we're going to go out and anoint your car with oil and pray over your car for healing. This was the Volkswagen. You know, I'm laughing now, but that car got healed numerous, numerous times. But she was always trying to work Jesus in, work Jesus in, work Jesus in. Why? Because she was afraid that I had rejected him and would continue to reject him. But once she had the promise in her heart, it brought rest because she wasn't moved by what she saw on the outside. She was moved by what she believed on the inside. And when we believe his word, when we believe his promise, it changes things. So fast forward three years. And I meet some real good-looking, long-haired, crazy, wild-haired girl in a leopard-skin bikini by, by a pool in Clear Lake City, and I'm back with the Lord. The Lord knew what kind of bait to use with me. Uh, hooked me in, but good. So I just married her, and that worked out real well. Bubba came back, said, what about your sister? 20 years later. Now, no one likes to hear that part, but God fulfilled his promise. And my sister came back. She listens, she's probably listening today. Hey, sis, keep sending that tie check in, darling. I appreciate it. <laughs> we're people of promise, we're people with possibilities, and we're people that God is pleased with. Really? People God is pleased with? Yeah. He loves us. He sent his son for us. Roman, Romans, when Paul wrote, he said, look at this. What, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I heard a, a, a pastor, actually read what a pastor wrote. He said he was a uh, basketball, played high school basketball, as I did. He said, and he, he had an old school coach who was a screamer. So the coach had a powerful voice. He said, you never heard it until you did something wrong. He said when he would turn the ball over or miss a defensive assignment, said practice would stop and this coach would start screaming. He's red in the face. He's foaming. He said, I'm having to wipe after, after he finishes talking to me and yelling at me. He said, I had to wipe the spit off my face. He said, I, I never knew him outside of, out of basketball. He was just an angry man. And how many people think God's that way towards you? That you never hear from him unless you've done something wrong. And yet, it was that belief in Caleb and Joshua that said, if the Lord delights in us, he's going to help us. He's going to put us over. He's going to get us there. If God is for us, who can be against us? And when, listen, and this is part of that living relationship because listen, when you, when you begin to believe, no, God is, God's not mad. He's not just waiting. God, God loved me enough to send his son. He's not going to withhold anything else. When you begin to see that, it creates something different on the inside of you and you believe that God will help you. And if you believe that God will help you, maybe you don't know how it's going to come, but if you believe that God will help you with your kids, with your marriage, with what's happening in your family, with your health, things in life, if you believe that the Lord will help you, he has not abandoned you, then what it causes is faith to rise and fear to drop. And that's how it works. Faith goes up. Fear comes down. And don't we know that we're living in a world that's ridden with fear? What is some of the difference that we can make? What difference does Christianity make? We're people that trust that God loves us and will help us. And somehow, we're going to make it through. There was a uh, Thomas Jefferson, true story about Thomas Jefferson. He was the president. What was he? Our, was he third, second? What was he? Thank you, history buffs. Um, he, was a, uh, he was a president early. And he, yeah, me, me too. And he was, he's crossing, he's going cross country with some companions and, and they happened to hit a river. They're on horseback. And they happened to hit the banks of a river and the river had overflowed its banks and it washed the bridge out. And so the whole party has to ford the river on horseback. And a, a couple of the men made it across and there was another man, a traveler, who was not part of that group. And he was standing off to the side and he was watching He's watching the group and finally he walks up, this traveler did, and he taps Thomas Jefferson on the, on the shoulder. He said, uh, actually on the boot. He said, sir, can I have a ride across? Without hesitation, Thomas Jefferson reached down, put him on the back of his horse and they crossed the river safely. When they get to the other side, this guy slides off the horse and he's on dry ground. And one of Thomas Jefferson's companions comes up to him and goes, can you help me understand why the only person that you would ask to, to give you a ride across the river was the president of the United States? And, and the guy looked, he said, he said, I, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I had no idea he was the president of the United States. He said, but when I looked at all of your faces, he said, I saw a no face. 
when I looked at his face, I saw a yes face. And today I needed a yes face. When you understand, when you believe that God's face toward you is yes. He's not doing this. He's not upset. He's not angry. That he's, he's for you. He's a yes face. And when you understand he's a yes face, it becomes easier to say yes to him. And saying yes to him makes all the difference in the world. Would you bow your head for a moment? Please, no one leaving. We'll be out of here in just a, just a few moments. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you came today or you're watching online and you say, you know what, Alan, I, I don't know that I've ever said yes to, to the one who loves me the most. I don't know that I've ever said yes to him or maybe you did. Maybe you did what I did. Maybe you said yes at one point in time and you find yourself so far away from him wondering whether or not he wants you back. He does. He's still going yes. So as we're going to say a prayer in just a moment. We're not going to have you stand up or come to the front. We don't do that. But we are going to pray. If that's you, though, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. If that's you that I'm talking to, and you say, Alan, I don't know that I have a relationship with the Lord, or I know I've been away and I want to come back. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up real quickly just across this auditorium and say, Alan, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. If you're online, obviously I can't see you. But this prayer is for you. So we're going to pray with you as a church family. You, if you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, pray it quietly. I pray this prayer. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those who prayed that prayer. Thank you for those who responded yes to the one who said yes to them a long time ago. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you. We can have and carry a different spirit. We can live out of our hearts first. And Lord, we give you all the praise. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for the possibilities that exist for us. Thank you that you're for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.